0: Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for its truth, for its accuracy, trustworthiness. We thank you that it has the power to change us, the power to make us into the kind of people that you want us to be. Lord, thank you. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this section of Scripture, we started it a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, looking at uh, two main characters, uh, Peter and Cornelius. Peter, the one God chose to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and Cornelius, the first Gentile to receive the gospel couple of things generally to observe as we look at Acts chapter 10 is this. Before Peter could be used by God, he had to learn something. Before Peter could be used by God, he had to learn something. He had to learn that God does not show favoritism. And we started looking at that two weeks ago and we'll continue to look at that this morning. The other main character is Cornelius, the Roman centurion, the Gentile that God had picked out to be the first to accept the Gospel. Cornelius also had to learn something, even as Peter did. Cornelius had to learn that as good a man as he was he still was not fit for heaven as good a man as he was he still was not fit for heaven for he had not placed his faith in jesus christ and we only get to heaven by accepting god's provision the lord jesus christ we cannot get to heaven by our good works and cornelius was a good man who did many good works. I ran across an illustration of that truth in a Daily Bread uh, uh, entry of a couple of months ago, and it went this way. Jerry was a good man, the pastor said, at Gerald Stevens' memorial service. He loved his family. He was faithful to his wife. He served his country in the armed services. He was an excellent dad and grandfather. He was a great friend. But then the pastor went on to tell the friends and family gathered that Jerry's good life and good deeds were not enough to assure him a place in heaven. See, we're not saved by good works. And Cornelius had to learn that he had to hear the gospel message and so God prepares Peter by teaching him that he does not show favoritism God prepares Cornelius by showing him that it's not by good works that we're saved so that's kind of the general look at what we're studying this morning now if we wanted to look at it from an academic approach and maybe you do and maybe you don't Let me share from William Barclay uh, something of the academic look at this passage. He said this, We usually do not realize how near Christianity was to becoming only another kind of Judaism. All the first Christians were Jews, and the whole tradition and outlook of Judaism would have moved them to this new wonder, the church, to themselves and to believe that god could not possibly have meant it for the gentiles luke sees this incident as a notable milestone on the road along which the church was groping its way to the conception of a world for christ we don't understand what a momentous thing it is that peter understands and peter is the one that leads the way to accepting the Gentiles into the church on an equal basis with the Jews. Jew and Gentile together in one body, the church. We have been emphasizing this because it's important. This was a momentous thing. This is a momentous thing that we're seeing here in Acts chapter 10. Uh, less academic way to say it is this as one writer said when there is a soul seeking for light and a messenger willing to accept any opportunity to speak for christ a meeting is certain to be arranged i like that when there's a soul seeking for light that's cornelius a messenger willing to accept any opportunity to speak for christ that's peter a meeting is certain to be arranged and we see how God is arranging this meeting between Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Well, let's look at verse 23, the latter part of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Well, apparently, remember in our passage two weeks ago, Remember that Peter invited the three representatives from Cornelius, he invited them to eat lunch with them and invited them into their home. That was a step on the way to this new understanding for Peter and they came in and they ate. Well, apparently their time together went on too late, apparently late into the day and it was too late to start back for Caesarea and Uh, It was a two-day trip from Joppa to Caesarea. And so rather than starting out at night, what they decided to do was stay the night and start out the next morning. So Peter leaves the next morning and he leaves with some of the brothers. That's what it tells us. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa. Some of the other Jewish believers accompanied Peter. Now it tells us later in Acts chapter 6, Uh, excuse me, chapter 11 and verse 12, that six brothers went along with Peter. That is, with Peter, it was uh, six brothers with Peter would make seven witnesses, and that was a significant number. Seven is a significant biblical number and number among the Jews. And so that was very important because there would be seven witnesses witnesses to what God did in incorporating Gentiles into the church there would be seven witnesses into what God did in incorporating the Gentiles into the church so that was important there were also three others that went along so that there would have been 10 altogether. the six brothers Peter is seven and then the three who were sent by Cornelius uh, came as well so there were 10 of them all together verse 24 the following day he arrived in Caesarea Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends now that's interesting Cornelius was not the only one there when Peter arrives Cornelius had reached out to his relatives, he had reached out to his close friends, and we see again how Peter, uh, excuse me, Cornelius has an influence upon his family and an influence upon his friends. And he invites them, and there are quite a number of people waiting at Cornelius's house to hear this message from Peter. God had so arranged this. One writer said this about cornelius and about this passage notice how frequently houses and hospitality are mentioned notice how frequently houses and hospitality is mentioned Uh, as we go through the book of acts you're going to see that we've already seen it you're going to see it again how important uh, relationships are how important relationships are to the whole method of evangelism. In fact, there is a form of evangelism that came into being some years ago, or at least a new name for it, called relationship evangelism. Well, Cornelius knew all about relationship evangelism long before it became trendy in our time. He practiced relationship evangelism And it's kind of a kind of way to think about evangelism that maybe takes the terror out of it for a lot of people. A lot of Christians are fearful about witnessing. They're fearful about talking to others for Christ. And so this idea that houses and relationships, as it was in the book of Acts, that houses and relationships today are still important to evangelism. They're still important to evangelism. I wanted to share with you just a, a couple of quick thoughts about relationship evangelism uh, from navigators, the NAV Press and Navigators 2.7 ministry, uh, which unfortunately has kind of fallen into disuse. But 10, 20 years ago, there were a lot of groups who were doing Navigators 2.7. And uh, so just a tremendous way to learn about what it means to be a Christian, to learn about the various aspects of the Christian life. And one of the articles in the Navigators 2-7 series was an article entitled, oddly enough, Relationship Evangelism. And they talked about several attitudes that were essential if we were going to be effective in reaching out to friends and neighbors and family with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Many times uh, we find it difficult to witness to our families. We find it difficult to witness to our friends. And so they talk about attitudes that are necessary. Now, I don't have time, uh, and I'm not going to take time to go through all the attitudes that they mention, but I do want to talk about three Uh, Real quickly, three attitudes that are necessary uh, for us to have in order to reach out to friends, reach out to neighbors, reach out to our family. The first that I'm going to share with you this morning is this, and I'm quoting from the article. We must show the same kind of love and acceptance towards sinners that Jesus displayed. We must show the same kind of love and acceptance towards sinners that Jesus displayed. Basically, what they are saying is this. Our attitude, and I'm quoting again, must be one of acceptance and love. Jesus was the friend of publicans and sinners. So therefore, we must accept people as they are. Be realistic about unbelievers. Don't expect too much. They are not Christians, and they will probably act accordingly. Why is it that you and I are surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians? That shouldn't be a surprise to us. After all, they are not Christians. But the problem is that when that happens, we begin to become moralists instead of evangelists. We are not moralists in other words our goal isn't to see the unbelievers around us start to live better and start to live a moral life because that just makes them twice the child of hell why would we want that so that's not a choice now, acceptance doesn't mean agreement. They say in the article, so please listen, because some of you may have tuned out and said, well, and I've got to agree that the lifestyle that I know is wrong biblically, I've got to agree with it. No. No. They say in the article, acceptance does not mean approval. The contrast between our values and theirs will become conspicuous. Be sure This contrast is based on moral and scriptural matters, not on trivial and optional things. In other words, if you and I are living consistent Christian lives and we're living out the truth that we know, the unbelievers around us are not going to be confused that we think extramarital sex is okay. The unbelievers around us are not going to... be confused about what we believe. If we're living consistently and we're living out the truth that we say we believe, so therefore, as we accept them, we're not approving of their lifestyle. But we're also not becoming moralist. And that's important. They go on to say, that we must accept people as they are, are and not come affor- across as reformers. The Christian, they say, tends to measure the non-Christian against a rather legalistic set of, list of acceptable and unacceptable behavior. The list is a mixture of clean, clear-cut commands from the Word of God, such as do not commit adultery, to standards that come from our traditions, such as total abstinence from alcohol. The non Christian picks up the vibrations and he feels he's being judged. He sometimes even apologizes for his unacceptable habits. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you're around a non believer and they swear or they do something else and all of a sudden they realize that you're there and you're a believer and they, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That happens to preachers all the time. I'm telling you, it gets old fast. when somebody apologizes, uh, when I was going to, to a seminary, I worked at a food brokerage part-time so that, uh, and Kathy worked, and the two of us together, we, we uh, made enough money so that we could eat a habit that we had acquired over the years, and uh, so uh, I worked in a food brokerage, and it was kind of interesting, I, I worked, uh, I was producing materials for them, and and uh, once in a while, they'd put me in the computer room to work in the computer room. And I worked basically with about, I'd say, seven to ten non-Christian ladies. Now, I want to tell you, I got a lesson in non-Christian ladies from that time. Uh, they are interesting people. And their language is very interesting. And so I'm assigned to the computer room one day and I'm sitting in the computer room entering orders for our company and uh, two of the more salty of the ladies are in the room there with me and they just made the air blue. You know, I didn't care, I'm just doing my work. They just made the air blue and then suddenly one of them said to the other one, oh, I forgot, Joe's here. And right away they said, oh, Joe, we're sorry. I almost laughed. You know, I've heard a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I was a non-Christian for a long time. And so I said to them, I said, "Look, look, you guys don't have to worry about me. Somebody else heard you who's a whole lot more important than I am. If you think of what you said was wrong. But you know right away they want to apologize. The rest of the story is that a week or two later I guess we were uh, talking with somebody else. And one of those ladies was present. And the other person kind of made the air blue again. And realized I was standing there and said oh Joe I'm so sorry. And the lady who was in there the first time said oh you don't have to worry about Joe. So... (laughs) we don't want to be moralists. We don't want to be moralists. They go on to say in the article, the non-Christian picks up the vibrations and feels he's being judged. He sometimes even, even apologizes for his unacceptable habits, indicating he feels that he has fallen into the hands of someone bent on reforming him. Where there are such judgments, the article said, Communication is hopeless. If people around us feel, if the non-Christians around us feel that they've fallen into the hands of a moralist, they are going to not come to the gospel, but they're going to stop communication. We are not moralists. We should be living a moral lifestyle if we are believers in Jesus Christ. That is required of us to live a moral lifestyle, to live a holy lifestyle. But we are evangelists, not moralists. We are those who share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people can put their faith in Him. If all we do for the people around us If all we do for them is make them more moral people, we are just populating hell with more moral people. And that's not our job. Our job is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Ten words. Two, two hands. Ten words. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel That's what you need to know. That's what you need to tell those around us. They need Christ, not our moralistic judgments. All right. Second attitude that I want to share from this article we must be willing, they say, to boldly identify with Christ early in a relationship. We must be willing to boldly identify with Christ early in a relationship. What they say is this. We need to identify ourselves as Christians in the early stages because the longer we wait without saying anything, the harder witnessing will be at a later time. So the sooner we identify ourselves as believers, the easier it will be to move into witness when God opens the door. If we wait, it's going to be harder. And maybe even cause us to shrink back. So we need to identify ourselves as Christians. One way that they suggest that we do that early in the relationship is to, in their words, casually interject part of our testimony when the opportunity arises. Just in the course of the conversation, when it seems appropriate, just interject a little bit of your testimony. And you have identified for them that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That He is your Savior. Well, the third attitude that I'd like to share is the attitude that they they suggest, which is we must demonstrate dependence on God through persevering prayer. We must demonstrate dependence on God through persevering prayer. They say this in the article. Finally, we must display an attitude of dependence upon God in prayer. We need to remember that the battle for souls is not a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. Without wielding the weapon of prayer, we cannot expect to see God's deliverance. Not only does God want us to initiate and develop relationships, He wants us to pray faithfully for these people. Pray your way through every step of the process. From establishing the first rapport to opening the door to the message to the Holy Spirit's convincing, convicting them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Persist in prayer. I like what J. Vern, uh, J. Vernon McGee said about it. He said, we need to be led by the Spirit of God when it comes to evangelism. He said, I personally believe that the finest kind of evangelism today is prayer evangelism. I mean that we should begin by praying for an individual. Then the day will come when we need to put legs to our prayer. Ask God to lead you. If you have been praying for a loved one or a friend or a stranger, don't just go to them in your own strength and in the power of the flesh. That's how we normally do it right? We normally go in our own space. I, I've got a witness to witness that person. And you know, it's generally the cashier at Walmart, right? Or at H-E-B. Oh, I tell you what, we had an evangelism. Oh, I got to really rush. We had an evangelism class at seminary. And one of the requirements for the entire class, and it was a fairly large class, is that we had to give out something like 20 tracts in the course of the semester, <laughs> Have you ever heard of Minyard's Grocery Store? Mineyards is a grocery chain in Dallas. It may still be there, I'm not sure, because that was back in my seminary days. But there was a Minyard's behind the seminary. You know what every guy in my class did, and in those days it was all guys. You know what we did, right? Went to Minyard's. Bought us a pack of gum. I want to give you something. I did that to my shame. Handed it to the cashier, and she said, All right, thanks. I'll just put them with all the other ones. And there was a stack behind her. Let God be the one to lead you. That's what McGee says. Let God be the one to lead you. It may not be the time you need to tell the cashier at HEB about Christ. It may be you not, may not be the one. It may be someone else. Or it may be you. But let God lead you. Don't do it in the power of your own strength, as McGee says. Don't do it in the power of the flesh. Let God be the one to lead you. The article the back on the Navigators 2.7 article, they closed with a quote about prayer. From George Mueller. How many of you are familiar with George Mueller? Okay, a, a, a few of you. Uh, he is from another century. He was a great man of faith and prayer. And he established uh, orphanages. And he was such a great man of prayer. And by the way, if you ever want to read about him, read his autobiography, the autobiography of George Mueller. You'll, you'll, your spiritual life will be encouraged by him. He would sit down with, at a table with orphans with no food, and he would bow and he would thank the Lord for the food that they were about to receive at an empty table. And when he finished his prayer, a knock came at the door. It's a baker, a local baker. And he said to George Mueller, I have a lot of loaves of bread left over from the day that I didn't sell. Do you think he could use them? That's the kind of man of faith and prayer that George Mueller was. Mueller said this, The great point is to never give up until the answer comes. He said, I have been praying every day for 52 years for two men. Sons of a friend of my youth. They are not converted yet, but they will be. The great fault of the children of God is that they do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. One of these men became a Christian at George Mueller's funeral, the other sometime later. I shared with you one time I have had a prayer list that I have been praying through every week for more years than I can remember now and one day I was feeling like I don't even know where these people are anymore I don't even know if you know I don't know what the situation is why am I continuing to pray And so I asked the Lord, what what should I do? Should I continue praying or, or, or not? And would you believe within the next week or two, I heard personally from four of the people on that list whom I hadn't spoken to for years. And they didn't know that I'd been praying for them. And I didn't tell them. We must show the same kind of love and acceptance towards sinners that Jesus displayed. We must be willing to boldly identify with Christ early in the relationship and we must demonstrate dependence on God through persevering prayer. Well, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him. That's verse 25 of Acts 10. Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence just write in the side. Put an arrow to the side of your column of your Bible and write worship because that's what the word means. He worshipped Peter. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Peter refused worship rightly. Peter was not the one to worship. God was the one to worship. Peter was only the mouthpiece of God. It's funny how humans have a tendency to want to worship the mouthpiece instead of God Himself. That happens in the book of Revelation. I don't have time to go into it, but I want you to write down Romans, uh, excuse me, not Romans, Revelation 1910 and Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. Those are two of the passages in the book of Revelation where John, having been shown what would happen in the future, He bows before the angel and worships the angel. And I love it. (laughs) The angel says, do not do it. Do not do it. Worship God. He's the only one you and I should worship. He's the only one you and I should worship. And Peter refuses this worship. Talking with him, Peter went, this is verse 27, verse 26, Peter made him stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with the Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Here is where Peter had to learn something new, or perhaps we could better say unlearn something that was wrong. That happens to you and me. We need to learn something new about God, but we also need to be ready to unlearn something that's wrong. And that's the case with Peter. When Peter says, our law, he's talking about the Talmud and the Talmudic interpretation of the dietary and uh, ceremonial laws, regulations of the Mosaic law, which were turned by the rabbis into uh, a wrong understanding of separation from Gentiles. As one writer put it, A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, but there is no Old Testament regulation forbidding such social contact with Gentiles. Though the rabbis had added it and had made it binding by custom, there is nothing more binding on the average person than social custom. On coming from the market, an Orthodox Jew was expected to immerse to avoid defilement. The meaning of the vision for Peter was clear. Gentiles are no longer to be treated as impure or second class. See, Peter's legalism was showing. And legalism will do nothing but narrow our view of God, and we talked about that two weeks ago. Jerry Bridges adds this, and I'll just add this, and we'll conclude for this morning, and Scott will come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. He's talking about Romans 14 and the issue of differing opinions about certain practices among Christians. And he says this, As Christians, we can't seem to accept the clear biblical teaching in Romans 14 that God allows equally godly people to have differing opinions on certain matters. We universalize what we think is God's particular leading in our lives and apply it to everyone else. We must not seek to bind the consciences of other believers with the private convictions that arise out of our personal walk with God. Even if you believe God has led you in developing those convictions, you still must not elevate them to the level of spiritual principles for everyone else to follow. Would you join me in prayer? Father, help us and deliver us from legalistic thinking that narrows our view of you and your greatness and seeks to narrow the lives of the believers around us and help us father as we reach out with those to whom you've given relationships with the gospel of Christ I pray in Jesus name